HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you with support from Fairplate. Tickets and information at F-A-R-E-P-L-A-T-E dot com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Grace Lacona, Supplier Development Manager at UNFI Next, the program that UNFI created to curate and incubate emerging brands. Next is great for a brand like ours that isn't quite big enough for the big leagues just yet. UNFI is a giant, and if you're building a food brand that will be distributing nationally, you will be working with them at some point. The next program was a brilliant innovation on their part to be able to work with smaller brands and help us grow. Welcome, Grace. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I, the, I, for some reason, I, we were talking before the show, the distribution piece of this whole CPG puzzle. Yeah. I don't know if it's like just kind of opaque to me or if it's just opaque or what it is, but I'm psyched you're here because I feel like you speak like human and you can <laughs> thank you yeah yes. and I speak UNFI too so that's yes kind of, you know, you're like the bridge between UNFI and humans yeah. oh, which you. is very nice um I think you know if if other founders out there are kind of like me I think we get confused at the very beginning with the numbers and the margins and then I think we get confused all the way through to what actually the relationship should be, what you expect from us 
and what we can expect from you. So I'm hoping that we can get to the bottom of that in the next 45 minutes. Um, but before we get started, I always like to start the conversation off with a little bit about what you wanted to be when you grew up and what you were like as a kid, because I find that the links between those goals as a kid and what you end up doing are always kind of fun and fascinating. And chances are you didn't know you wanted to be a supplier development manager at UNFI. No, um, I did not even know what a distributor was. Right. So there is no way that at, in the fourth grade or, or growing up, I would have any idea of right. that as a career. So what did you want to do? Um, I don't necessarily know if there was a specific career path for me, but I, I did have an idol growing up and, and decided I wanted to be her. Um, I was obsessed with Elle Woods. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and I'll talk a little bit about kind of my path to my current role, but right. there was some kind of Elle Woods moments during that. that right, so you wanted to be a lawyer. Yes and no. Uh-huh. I think what I loved about her was like everyone kind of underestimated her uh-huh. and she was just so sure of herself and you know when she gets to, to Harvard Law and, and she's sitting in these classes and it's all about kind of logic and then how you interpret the world she was just so spot on and I was like that's right. great and I kind of had this idea that if, if you went to law school and Harvard Law specifically, you right. would have that kind of aha moment. Um, right. And I thought being an attorney would be cool and kind of always was interested in, in government classes growing up. And I was in, you know, student council and kind of all those, those things that kind of put me on a path to potentially maybe be an attorney one day. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately kind of ended up not doing that. Yes. Um, you start, you, did you go to law school? No, I did not go to law school. Um, I went into college giving up on kind of my L. Woods journey for a second. <laughs> uh-huh. I thought, okay, well, if I'm not going to be L. Woods, maybe I'll be a doctor. Right. <laughs> Just kind of a, you know, one of two things you know, right. in your life, I guess. <laughs> doctor. I'm not going to be L. Woods. Um, go in and kind of have an aha moment, you know, later on in, in college that, you know, this isn't really necessarily for me either. Right. It's like, you know what, let me try and be Elwoods again. So right. <laughs> um, when I graduated, I was working as a paralegal in a law firm in New right. York City. Um, and taking the LSAT, was really considering going to law school um, and, and took a step back and realized, you know, I don't, I'm not as passionate about this and kind of envied people who were looked like they were in a field that they were very passionate about. So I kind of set out on a, a journey to kind of you find know, your passion. Yeah. Find were you a food person growing up? Um, yes and no. Um, I think sometimes when people look back, um, and foodies and look back and kind of think about, you know, your favorite recipe or your mm-hmm. favorite brand, you, you kind of associate that sometimes with growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do you have a favorite recipe of yours? I do, but it's kind of gross. But <laughs> it was like the first thing that I knew how to make like in bulk for a lot of people. And I like when I was like 10 or 11, I started making it and I'd have friends over. It was salmon and I would make like mayonnaise and mustard. And I know you're making a fa- I'm telling you, it's kind of gross, but it does kind of evoke these feelings. And I would just like smear the mayonnaise and mustard on top of the salmon and put it under the broiler. And it would make this like crusty I think I was always a sauce person so like it would make this like crusty thing but also sort of saucy I also love Lucky Charms I was a Lucky Charms like brand like they can do no wrong Mm -hmm. for me and the combination 
sounds really yes, nice. Yes, the salmon, <laughs> Lucky Charms. Yeah, it's they're great together. Um, but you were... Yeah, so, I mean, kind of sometimes when you, you think about those, those moments growing up that kind of defined your journey as a foodie, I almost had kind of the most opposite experience of that, mm-hmm. where uh, I grew up, I'm from Chicago originally, and um, I think in the Midwest more so than kind of, in, especially New York um, and on the other parts of the coast, you see that there's just a lot less access to foods that I identify now as a consumer. So mm-hmm. all natural and organic products. So I grew up with a lot of fast food right. and um, a lot of, I was a hot lunch kid. Right. <laughs> so I have a d- very distinct memory of yeah. being in like the second grade and having this box. slop. Yeah. It was like a, a, an attempt at pizza, right. no tomato sauce. And what I'm now referring to as like almost like a pepperoni sprinkle. Oh my gosh. Not even real. Um, And then in middle school, another kind of memory I have was every Friday we would have a pizza or burger day. Uh And um, it was Domino's and McDonald's was the burgers. Wow. And and our school, you know, touched a KFC. Yeah. that was my kind of formative years and my exposure to food. And I always remember just not really kind of enjoying it as much. Right. Um, and at home, kind of similar, um, a lot of fast food and kind of candy and all these things. And I just remember just not, you know, having the opportunity to, to take advantage of like almost like a kid's dream. Right. Candy and not really kind of wanting it. So that's interesting because in a way you did kind of take your L Woods-ness because, I mean, you're working for a, a massive distributor that its whole mission is getting natural foods to people, to everyone, right? I mean, yeah. did you even know how did, so how did you make those connections? So you were doing paralegal work and did you decide, did you seek out something in food or did you seek out something in access or what was? Yeah, I think I was kind of seeking out my own kind of journey inwards. So mm-hmm. I took a step back and thought about the, the things that I was so passionate about. And and it wasn't at first very apparent to me that, mm-hmm. that food and, and particularly the grocery store, right. you know, consumer packaged goods um, was like a real passion because I We'll go in a grocery store, and I, I love grocery stores. Mm-hmm. They just have this way of making you feel. Yeah. You go down the aisle, and you're like, this is so great. And I just love being able to, like, knowing where things are yeah. in my grocery store and then being surprised when I see a new brand. Um, and I just assume, because there are other people in that grocery store, that they felt the same way yeah. I did. And it was not true. No. <laughs> and so I didn't even think of that as being a passion. And, and I kind of had you know, started thinking about and, and talking to people and they didn't share that. Right. <laughs> and, and that's what's kind of nice about a passion, too, is, is, is sometimes you do overlook it. Yeah. You are just so... It's just such a part of you. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So um, I basically, you know, had that moment, made that recognition, and and started talking to people in this industry. And then how did you hear that there was a job at UNFI? Um, I... This was the first time also in my life that I'd ever networked. Right. <laughs> was, um, and kind of even before I got this job, I, I knew that this was a company I wanted to be in for because I, I basically got the opportunity to sit down with someone from the company. Right. And prior to that, kind of doing all the research and looking into yeah. it, I was like, this is the coolest No, it's, thing. I mean, I'm a grocery store person too. And by the way, there actually is research that like more millennials are grocery store people. Oh, awesome. Older millennials tend not to be, but younger millennials actually really enjoy the market experience and find it relaxing and creative. And 
I think somehow that pressure of like, I have to go home and make dinner is not a part of their experience. So you are not alone, turns out. Um, but if I had known that this was possible, I mean, it was when, when I interviewed um, Charlotte and um, Courtney from Fresh Direct and Food Kick, you know, we were talking about how if you had known that this was a job that you get to be helpful in getting really cool things on the shelf and like getting tasting new products before they come out and like being a part of that whole infrastructure like we just you don't think about it as a consumer you don't know that there are all these steps and systems going on behind the scenes why would you but once you know it if you're into it it's like kind of a dream job yeah so did you start at next or did you start at the bigger unfi yeah so i i started at next um had a, a couple of amazing conversations with people at unify and and always kind of kept it in, in the in the back of my head and, and i was i had at that point realized that i just you know wasn't going to go down the the law path and so people would say well you know what are your your other backups if you know nothing mm-hmm. comes from this and I was like, nope no backup. <laughs> no backup. That's how like, I am I, about the sauce. <laughs> what are you going to do if it doesn't work? Nope. It's like, you know, I just, I felt like this was my path. And so right. this opportunity kind of, you know, someone reached out and said, hey, you know, here's this job. And, and how would you describe the job? Like, what is the, I mean, I was even looking on your LinkedIn. I'm like supplier <laughs> de- relationship development. Yeah, I don't know, something yeah. like what and, is the, how would you exactly describe the job? Yeah, um, every day is very different. But if I had to describe the job, I would say that it's kind of like dating multiple people at the same right. time. So I work primarily with um, emerging brands, yeah. uh, new to UNFI. So that's the number one criteria when you're looking at this program is that you've never worked with UNFI before. Right. And when you kind of break that down, there's brands that are in three different phases. And these are my my dating life right now right in terms of like your first dates exactly like brunch dates and then your sleepovers exactly (laughs) yeah you have your first dates and and that's me going out and and kind of seeing what's available and and, you know you make a connection and um you then move towards you know deciding hey let's let's make a partnership here let's (laughs) let's sign some legal paperwork and and let's start working together um, and then it's about developing these brands, right? And, you know, making you know. So we're in phase. We're we're steadily dating now. Yes, I'm because excited. we just got um, we just partnered, which is very exciting. I tried to connect a while ago. I think I called you crying at some point. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's hard. It's hard not you know. It's confusing and and the numbers and the margins and you don't know who to trust and what to do. So. You just very early on were someone that I felt very comfortable with, which was a good sign when you're first dating someone. Oh, well, thank you. So before we take a break, can you also just tell me a little bit more about how, how did UNFI get the idea and how did they put in place this next program and just a little bit more background on the next program and how it's very different? I mean, starting off with how many points of distribution you have to have to be in a DC. And I will break that down because I really, as I'm saying that I sound like, yeah, I think you said DC. I did say DC. (laughs) Okay. So from my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, if you are, if, if you want to be in a UNFI distribution center, that's what DC stands for. You need to have 30 points of distribution, meaning 30 doors basically that are ordering your product, 30 stores that want your product. If you are under that, 
then you don't really get space in the warehouse, like in the DC. If you are a next, a UNFI next product, that number isn't 30, it's seven. Is that correct? Ish? Yes, yes and no. Um, so our distribution centers um, all have movement requirements. So How many are there? First off, we have 33. There are 33 yeah. distribution centers across the country. Yes. And they all have to move product because product can't just sit there and not move because that would be taking up space where other products could be. So because of that, yeah, because of that, basically, we've set these these numbers out there. Um, and, and it depends on what space you are operating you're in, in the warehouse. So if you're an ambient, you know, we want to see you moving five cases a week per right. SKU, per distribution center. If you're in chill, um, a little higher of a real estate price tag, uh, right. it's seven cases per week. And then when you're in the frozen space, you know, from an operation perspective, that's the, the hardest kind of to maintain. You're 10 cases per week. Wow. So we came up with 30 as kind of a, a good benchmark um, for, for, you know, getting to those DC movement requirements, um, you know, seeing if a brand has legs, because around 30 locations is typically enough to kind of... So 30 them. locations, if you're in 30 stores, then generally you'll move seven cases per SKU per week. Right. Is that the idea? Okay. Got it. And someone like me, I'm not going to be moving that much at the beginning. Right. That, and that's yeah. why they made next. Yeah. So in the beginning, um, if you aren't up to that seven cases for your, your kind of section of the warehouse, it, we work with you on that um, and we give you time to kind of get up there. Um, we understand that, you know, when you when you start off, it it can take some time. And right. So, you know, before we're, you know, it's not the second that a product hits the warehouse, the clock starts running. And if, you know, the second week after that, you don't have seven cases. It's like, well, you know, yeah, thank we, you. We had a great week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so is there like in the warehouse, is there like a little tag next to us that says like next? Like, just no. don't move them out. <laughs> Keep them here. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, the warehouses are pretty unify in general. Um, so when it comes to making those decisions on right. products, so that's where, you know, me as a supplier manager is involved. Right. So if they're saying, listen, Grace, I know that you like these people, but they're not moving as quickly as we want them to. You can then kind of advocate on our behalf. And, and they set that system up so that you would. Yeah, right. And so that, you know, I'm the final decision maker on that. And, Got it. And it's an opportunity then for you and I to sit down and say, hey. How do we? How does, it, does this item make sense? And right. what's nice is we're looking at everything on an item per DC basis as opposed to a whole brand. So, right. you know, you can launch somewhere and, and have two items that are, are moving 30 right. cases a week. And if you just have one slower item, then you know, we can look at turning right. it off and revisiting later on. Right. And so... If you are, okay, well, let's take a little break. And then um, when we get back from the break, we'll get into the nitty gritty because I have so many questions. I'm so excited. This episode is brought to you with support from Fairplate, a taste of Ireland in New York, taking place Saturday, March 9th at the Rag Trader. At Fairplate, you can sip and savor Irish whiskey, cheese, grass-fed beef, and more. Tickets and information at F-A-R-E-P-L-A-T-E dot com. Uh, 
Hi, I'm back with Grace Lacona from UNFI Next, and we were just talking about the difference between UNFI Big Mama and UNFI Next. Um, and so just, yeah, tell me a little bit more, tell me about sort of the genesis of the Next program, I guess, and how it can support little brands yeah, or soon-to-be big brands. So um, the program, you know, if you look at UNFI, Big Mama. Big Mama UNFI, yeah. Big Mama UNFI. We're really set up for a national presence. So we historically work with larger brands um, and kind of saw an opportunity and really from the customer, both on the customer end and the supplier end, an opportunity to be more accessible to smaller brands who were kind of in this space of innovation. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, customers, the retailers where you're going to buy these products, want to be able to offer their consumers, like you and I, something trendy and and innovative. Um, Right. So that's kind of how we looked at kind of creating this program. Right. Is an ability to kind of a service to the supplier community, giving you kind of the opportunity to grow with us as opposed to the traditional route, which is, okay, hey, now that you're in 400 locations across the country, it's time to work with you. No, it's so smart. It's so smart. Um, and how, and so you basically go out and find new brands. Is that a lot of what you do? Yeah. I'd say that's a, a that's third of my fun. Time. Yes. So <laughs> how do you do that? You're not going to expo. How, what do you, what's, yeah, I, I know mean, we met at fancy food. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a combination, um, of, of going to, to farmer's markets right. and, um, you know, range me is a, a great resource mm-hmm. for retailers and distributors and brands to kind of range me. If you are a brand and you are not on there, apparently it's great. I haven't had anyone particularly reach out because I'm on range me, but I do hear really good things. So that's my, yeah, yeah. I'm not plugging it because <laughs> I haven't actually experienced any success with it, but I do think that people see you when you're on there yeah, so it's and just, grace does, yes, which I is do. important. I'm, I'm looking. Um, okay. and there are also specific retailers, um, that I can think of that are kind of in that innovation space. And so you could kind of just, you know, stroll through there and, right. and take a peek. So, um, word of mouth is also a, a great way. Uh, I feel like there's a really strong yeah, supplier community. We like community. to support each other. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is great. And I think if something works and a supplier can kind of share that information with other suppliers. Right. You know, it's an opportunity. Like and that. then once they, so for us, for example, we have a regional distributor. And so we have an exclusive arrangement with them. So we can't be using UNFI next or UNFI for the majority of this region. But because we're launching in Chicago, um, we are using UNFI next. And so basically just so everyone understands the way it goes is that we signed on or, you know, we got a commitment from a, from a, from Peapod in Chicago and because they want the product, I called Grace. We set up our paperwork. And now Grace, not you personally, but you and I will be picking up from our warehouse and bringing our product to Racine, Wisconsin, which is the distribution center that distributes to the Peapod in right. Chicago. So presumably then we would like to open more doors in the Chicago area. Do you then help us figure out who those doors may be and how we could potentially get to those buyers? Yeah. So, 
You know, uh, our we are not a, a DSD distributor, right? Um, so you know, DSD distributors are kind of more on, on the sales end, and right. can you know offer kind of some merchandising. Um, we offer our brands exposure, right? Uh, while you're active in this DC, any customer that pulls from that distribution center AC can now see your products, right? And for them to turn it on, it, they could order today. They could right. be ordering right now. It takes a second. Now. Yay! Um, so you know, we give you exposure, um, and then there's opportunities. We're a company that's been around for 40 years, um, right? And having kind of that experience in this industry, we've created really strong relationships with our retailers. So we have a, a sales team that you should think of as your logistical allies. Right. Um, they know their accounts like the back of their hand, and and they know where there's opportunities in those stores for you know potentially your brand. So you know you have access to them. Right. Um, and there's opportunities to get in front of them, and there's opportunities to get in front of the customer. It's very cool. So if we see other brands that pull from Racine, I mean other stores that pull from Racine. Basically, we can reach out to you guys and say, can you help us get these guys interested somehow? Yeah. And I mean, it depends on the retailer. Retailer may be almost self-sufficient in that all you need to do is give them this the code. This code. Yeah. Like, Here we go. Type it in. Yeah. No, it's great. So what is the onboarding system like? We just did that, but can you walk us through it a little bit? Because I think figuring out pricing for a lot of small brands is really important. You know, the way that we backed into it, well, we've we've backed into it a few different times, which is crazy. It's like, can you just settle on your price? <laughs> but basically, you know, as a brand, you don't get to decide. You would like to, but you don't get to decide what you're on the shelf at. You just, you don't. You can try to set your price to the distributor so that basically the distributor then can sell it to the retailer and then the retailer then sells it to the consumer. And you can assume that the retailer takes 35 to 40% margin. The distributor to the retailer is... That's going to depend. So um, how it works in our system with pricing is, is you submit and you have <laughs> submitted right. one price to yep. us. Um, and so that is your price. Um, we tack on the freight cost of us right. picking up the products. And now that's your landed cost in our system. Uh, we come up with a, a published wholesale price. So this is a price that uh, a retailer who signs on with Unify tomorrow is going to pay. They don't have any historical business with us. Right. That's really our operation margin. Got um, it. And that's what they're paying for your price. And you have visibility into that. Right. And you all have visibility into your published wholesale price right. and your published SRP. So just our suggestion to retailers, based on a high Unify margin and based on a high retailer margin. Right. Uh, a lot of our customers, the majority of our customers, have their own pricing with Unify. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. So you should be assured by the fact that no customer is going to be paying more than the price that you see. Right. But there are going to be a lot of customers that are Great. paying less. Oh, that's so good to know. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then can we talk a little bit about, um, I'm, I want to go back a little bit because I, I want to get into like off invoice and all that juicy Ooh. stuff, but I also <laughs> want to know what... Because I think other founders out there are like, what stands out to you? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the white space in the grocery store? Are you looking at categories that haven't been innovated for a while? Are you looking, if it's a beautiful package, 
but it's a crowded category. That's okay. Like, do you have, I know it's, I know it depends yeah. <laughs> and I know there's no perfect formula, but what would you say? Let's put it in two ways. What would you say is like a, Ooh, and what would you say is like a, Oh, not another. Yeah. Um, the, ugh, not another are just, you know, don't, don't be a copycat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's my number one advice for a brand. Um, yeah. it's just, and that shouldn't deter you if you really feel like you have a better version of something that's already out there. But it has to really be better. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like I hear two different kind of stories when I talk to my brands about how they, they started. It was either, you know, we had this great product and, and we kept making it and then just there was all this demand. Yep. People really wanted it. Or you were a consumer and you went into a store and you, you couldn't find what you were looking for. Right. And you kind of made it yourself yep. and uh, and lo and behold there are a bunch of other consumers out there too that yep. were, were looking for that product so i feel like on that second one uh you ended up being pretty authentic and kind of disrupting your category without even knowing right yeah so you're standing out already yeah um by doing that and in terms of packaging it's <laughs> That's hard. Right. <laughs> I feel like you have to kind of go into whatever section of the store you are and, yeah. and kind of see like how your brand would yeah. look like in there and, and think as a consumer, would this, would this catch my eye? And then don't go overboard. Yeah. <laughs> really don't. I do think it's hard. I mean, for years, you know, we sell granola at mm-hmm. Haven's Kitchen and it's really good granola. There is no question. It's great granola. Part of the reason why it's great is because we make it and you eat it within two weeks. Right. I mean, it's just, we keep, it sells out and we keep making it. And for years, people have been like, I wish you sold this. You know, I wish they should take this to Whole Foods. They should take this. And I mean, fortunately, I didn't even understand category or understand the whole system, but I knew enough to know that this was going to be too hard of a, of a slog to make a product that, I'll ha- that looks and feels and tastes pretty much like a lot of other things already, even if it's very special and even if the people that love Haven's Kitchen want it. And I think, unfortunately, and I don't mean to deter anyone from doing it, but it's not, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So it is worth going to the grocery store and saying to yourself, which I didn't do, to be fair. Like I kind of was like, we'll figure it out. Where is this going next to? Who, what, what is this category? Who do I compare myself to? How many of these things sell? Like just trying to figure out what else is out there and kind of like who you're up against in a way. And I guess what you're saying is if you don't have a very clear answer to that, Take yeah. a step back. No, and you should be understandable too for the consumer. I think that's something. Um, a, a shoppable grocery store is um, kind of divided based on primary application. Uh, what do you mean by that? That sounds cool. Yeah, primary application is is that if I'm a consumer and I've gone into to make cookies, mm-hmm. I should be able to look up and, and category should say baking, and I should go over there. Yeah, and I be able to find everything baking. Yep. Um, and so if you're in in a category disruptor, mm-hmm. um, you need to kind of understand that category, and it's kind of tough if you if you don't 
really fit in. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we are a classic example of that because you look in sauce and we're not there because they're shelf stable and we're refrigerated. Yeah. I think that's so exciting. About I mean, product. it is exciting <laughs> and there will be a category, like yeah. there'll be a set of all, you know, we like to call it like meal helpers or, mm-hmm. you know, quick dinners or, you know, it's going to be refrigerated condiments. There will be that set. Right now, we're either like in hummus or like next to Jello or like a lot of places we're next to Veginese. But I mean, that that primary application thing is a little it's a little tough for us. I will say that it's more for for shelf stable items. Right. I think when you get into categories, really chill. Yeah. Like you are and less of frozen. That it kind of gets a little wishy washy. Yeah. Most and yeah. Good. Good to hear. Wishy washy. I'll take. So let's say um, that you've onboarded and you have a product and they're doing okay. You know, they're selling, they're opening a few <laughs> doors here and there. How would you, how would you help them do better? What, what can they expect from you? Can you talk a little bit about promotions? Mm-hmm. I know that at least when we were starting, we're like, we won't need demos because everyone's just going to know us from the internet and everyone's going to love us. And we don't need to do promotions because then people will expect to find us on promotion. And then when we're not on promotion, they won't buy us. And we were dead wrong about both (laughs) like full on just wrong. Like, yes, you need to do a lot of demos. And if you're not budgeting for a lot of demos budget now for a lot of demos and definitely do promotions with your distributor, but also with the stores. So can you explain promotions? Yeah, and I think it even goes back to what you're talking about when you know dealing with pricing and, and making sure regardless of what price you come in that you have room to promote. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you know you've you've come down at the at the lowest price possible. And retailers yep. want to see it and distributors want to see it and, yep. and consumers want to see it. So bake it in. Yeah. Yeah. Always bake it in. Um And just, that depends on your category, right? Cuz I always say like 20% trade spend, but I know that there there are categories that do 30 and I know there are some categories that do under 15, right? So, so average at 20, (laughs) research it, uh, and, 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 you know, figure out kind of what makes sense. And like all other budgets, assume you're going to spend more. Like (laughs) we always assume we're going to sell more, but spend less. And it's always the opposite as gangbusters as you might be, you know, it's just kind of funny. Okay. So back to a promo. So how does it work exactly? Yeah. So there, there are two kind of, um, promotions that you you can set up, um, the top level really. Um, there are many promotions. Um, off invoice deals are ones that are specifically with your retail, uh, with your distributor. Those are called OIs. Yes, OIs. Um, and those come off of your purchase order. They're for a very set period of time. Um, your distributor, UNFI, wants to see quarterly promos. Um, quarterly? Mm-hmm. Okay. And retailers also want to see that, uh, especially kind of when you're looking at larger chain stores, uh, there's going to be some ask and they've already figured out on their end what it takes to eventually stay, stay in their stores. Um, so they may say also quarterly promos. Mm -hmm. Um, what is very, this is my advice for brands out there that are setting this up, um, set them up at the same time (laughs) from the retailer and the distributor. Yeah. Uh, make sure you're doing that in the same month, um, from, uh, you know, it's easy to manage on your end. And from a cost perspective, what you're now doing is, is you're taking an off invoice deal on the front end um, when right. we're making that uh, purchase order. And then on the back end, then when you're seeing a chargeback, 
because that's how these retailer specific promos are being charged back right. to um, you, the vendor, the supplier. Um, it's a, a less amount. So right. Kind of. You know, that makes sense. Spreading it out. So what has like what are the big mistakes that you've seen that brands do when they're my size? Like under a million in sales, opening new regions, starting to get some traction. What would you say? Like, Allie, please don't do that. Yeah, I. It it, it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is an area of gray. I think distribution is a, a big area of gray. Um, but I'd say broadly speaking, um, don't spread yourself too thin. Yeah. Don't um, and and be very strategic with with your distributor and your, your retail partners. Uh, make sure you understand your target consumer. Make sure you understand where they're shopping. Um, and make sure if you're presented with an opportunity to to go down a path that you didn't necessarily think. Um, so when a retailer approaches you and says, hey, Allie, like, well, you know, we think you're great. Like, come on board. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you understand what the ask what, is there. What you're doing. Yeah. Right. I think it's really challenging because, you know, I talk about this a lot on the show, but I think part of the problem with the venture model being applied to food in the last couple of years is they want you to have this exponential growth. And the, the flip side is that a, it's not really sustainable, but B food doesn't really work exponentially. You know, it's really like a player on the ground game, you know, and it's, it's, it is slow and steady when the race and you can open doors and open DCs, but I can't imagine anything more depressing than getting kicked out of a store because you're not selling enough or getting kicked out of a DC because you don't have the movement. Like that's awful. Like that's just awful to think about. Yeah. It's awful, but it's, it's not the end of the world. No. And you know, you come back when you're in a place to to support that. Um, What do you think we should have totally locked up before we go to a new region? I think you need to, whatever retailers you're in, you need to make sure, one, you need to physically be in these stores. I, I can't stress that enough yeah, how go important to the it stores. is to, to go to the stores. Um, and you need to make sure that you've, you know, come up with a plan to, you know, still support and the retailers that you have in that region, mm-hmm. but also, you know, be able to to grow. So from like an internal sales perspective, mm-hmm. just, just make sure and doesn't necessarily mean that you know hiring 10 different people it's right just, you know i might have to delegate it a little bit different than right. i originally thought yeah um how do you think we can best communicate with our distributors because you have so many brands i'm sure everyone thinks that they're your most <laughs> special brand but what is kind of the best you know what what makes what makes us stick like what makes you particularly like working with a brand when a brand is very communicative, it, it's it's great. Um, I, I try and set up kind of regular touch bases with all of my brands, um, mm-hmm. just as check-ins. Um, but I think there are things that sometimes brands think may not necessarily be relevant to their distributor. So you know, why don't we? And maybe we should think this. Um, yeah, let's let me change my UPCs and uh, mm-hmm. let me just ship that <laughs> off to right. my distributor. <laughs> and it's happened. Before. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So over communicate. Yeah, yeah. over communicate um, because there's a lot of nuances I, I find in in this system. You know, you're adding in someone new, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, us for kind of the middleman and there's a lot in there just communicate and you know it could be as simple as you know it's fine like go go ahead and do that right 
Wow. Wait, that's a big <laughs> that change. Has, yeah. that's a lot of consequences. Yeah. And, and I'm more than happy to sit down and, and walk through that. But right. nothing's worse than kind of making a decision without kind of having some, you know, background. Right. So there are a lot of times. So it's funny because I hired two people who used to work at Fresh Direct. And both of them constantly say like, oh, when we were merchants at Fresh Direct, we wish we would have known how hard it was for a brand to actually get the thing on the shelf. They want to actually like have a party for all the brands that they (laughs) like tortured essentially, which I think is a great idea. So what would you as a distributor want to tell either vendor like me or buyer like customer, like this is actually hard for us people give us a little bit of slack. Like, is there anything that you wish that we knew, like that we don't know that you would like to just tell all of us now? Yeah. Um, UNFI is a very big company. Yeah. They're like 10,000 employees, right? And we have a lot of different departments, um, that we have to communicate things like changes to and, and, and distribution kind of move slowly right and I find especially kind of when you're you're an emerging brand and, and you, you I don't know do you have 10,000 employees maybe definitely not no <laughs> right. so <laughs> things may move a little quicker because right. of the fact that the team is is right there right um and it's just not the case with distribution right. there's a lot of things that need to be communicated out and and managed um so just give you time be a little patient time. and yeah. communication can fix all of yeah. those, those well it's nice because you write back Oh, yes, <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that's important. And communication goes both ways. Yes, for sure. Um, any big shifts in like the industry or products or the grocery store? Anything that you're seeing that's just been interesting from like a 30,000 feet in the air perspective? Yeah, um, I, I, I like data. <laughs> yeah, and, I and like data too. Data is great and, and kind of at Unify. You get data. To data. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we have a team called Category Management, which mm-hmm. is basically the intellectual branch of our organization. Yes. They're very smart. Yeah, very, very cool. Very smart. Um, so being able to tap into that knowledge is cool. So from that outside perspective of, of trends and things, mm-hmm. like keto, keto all keto. day long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, MCTs and wow. CBDs. And um, I, mean, I Keto was something that I was personally excited about because I love fat. Mm-hmm. I think fat is a great thing. I like fat, too. Yeah, so, so to see something like that on the rise has been great. Um, and it's cool, too, because you see trends that are basically kind of long-lasting almost. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think you've, I've heard you speak a little bit more about, like, trends versus fads. And, yes. And how important it is to kind of be trendy and not not fatty. fatty mm-hmm. But fatty. But fatty. <laughs> fatty. <laughs> With a T. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You, you, there, yeah. I mean, there's like a like a secular shift, and then there's you know like a this is hot right now, so put it on your label and smack it on, um, which I would advise against. But again, I'm I'm an older woman with <laughs> more sort of like I think just different. I just grew up in a different era where you know things were just built differently and. You know, you tried not to be trendy or fatty. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, we're talking about kind of millennials being more interested in, in being a consumer that goes to a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there is like a, almost a, a, 
going back towards that yep. of wanting something sustainable. Yeah, so I think so too. The buzzwords are awesome uh, to, to have, but be strategic about it and, and be true to your brand and yep. be true to yourself when you're kind of think about it. And, and I'm, I'm sure brands out there and you know, stewardships are expensive mm-hmm. and organic certification, gluten-free, non-GMO project verified, you have to be really, really strategic uh, about kind of making those decisions in your packaging. And I mean, they could take up the whole front of the label. (laughs) Okay. We have so many more questions I could ask, but we're running out of time. So I always ask this question at the end. It doesn't have to be professional, although it usually (laughs) is, but in your career, what is kind of a time or a day or an event, which is just the most fun you've had doing this job? Like what was a moment where you're like, ah, I yeah. feel like Elle Woods. I, <laughs> I have a kid in the, in the candy store, um, Expo East. So, you know, there's two large yes. all natural product expos, um, East and West. And I, I went in September and um, it was around the time of Hurricane Florence. Yes. And so it was like, oh, is this event even going to really happen? Right. Um, and, you know, I ended up canceling my hotel room. And last minute for one of the days, I was like, all right, I'm going to do Accelerated Expo East. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, got on the train from New York to Baltimore and basically did Expo East. In a day. In a day. Wow. And I remember, and I had so much fun. Like, right. It was just me, like, you know tossing business cards and taking samples and like talking about right. if next and you know stopping by my favorite brands and grabbing right. something and I remember having this moment in the cab back to the train and I looked down and I have just two giant bags <laughs> of stuff <laughs> and yeah I'm like I just remember laughing with myself at myself right. at just how like overboard I had gone with like this whole thing no but that's fun I mean fun. if you love it I can't imagine a more fun job. And I want to personally just thank you because it's been amazing working with you so far and you're helping us get another region, which is wonderful and really figuring it out with us. And we all really appreciate it. My whole team. So thank you. Of course. It's been a pleasure working with you guys. I'm excited to be a part of this journey. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Thank you for coming on the program. I'm having a feeling that you'll come back on another time because there are going to be more questions. Um, but it's been great. Thank you so much, Grace. All right. And Kevin, thank you for being the engineer today. Um, I'm not, I don't have two weeks. Um, but then when I get back, I have John Lawson coming on, who is the head buyer, I guess, for the Northeast region. Um, along with a couple of other really fun founders that are coming on in the next couple weeks and a PR guru. And I think someone else awesome too. So (laughs) I'll be back in two weeks, but thank you for listening and um, everyone enjoy. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.